Do you want to introduce us? Yeah. What are what? Come on. Here we are, just sitting here. <laughs> no, that's just how we do things. We don't introduce anyone. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode three of the AI for Good podcast, where we try to shine light on how you as a nonprofit leader can use AI for good. In today's episode, we discuss some of the concerns about artificial intelligence. Is it actually a threat to humanity? What are some of the questions we should be asking in order to be ready for the disruption that may be coming down the road? I'm one of your hosts. My name is Dylan Bose, and with me is Sam Wheatley and Matthew Sides. I've noticed that when I start talking to other people about artificial intelligence, one of the first questions that they ask me is, is AI going to destroy us all? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's it seems like they're like half joking about it. Um, well, AI uh, does have a branding. It has a branding problem. Yes, if they sure had does. had a better term than artificial <laughs> intelligence, it might be easier. And it's a misleading term, too. Well, and every sci-fi movie has taught us that AI is bad, yeah. right? There's no sci-fi movie where AI ends good. So, Have you guys had this experience where people ask you that question, that is this going to destroy us all? Yeah, my 80-year-old um, father-in-law, when I set him up with chat GPT, was asking me, about that. But now he uses Bing. Yeah, so that's two of the topics that I want to discuss today and touch on a little bit and get your guys' feedback. And so one is, you know, just the AI, really kind of what the what I call the robot overlord question that I get asked a lot. Mm -hmm. And then two, um, the more pressing question that I want to discuss, which is um, the misinformation. A absolutely. It's, it's, it's not only the... Um, you know, the, I think a lot of the fears with the technology have to do with how they're going to impact our society and culture. Mm. And it's perfectly reasonable to be asking these questions. In fact, I think we probably need to be asking more questions like that. So when when people say, oh, is, is AI going to destroy us all? You know, I think the, the we'll talk about the, the robot overlord question, but I think for me, I'm more interested in how we as a society are responding to it already and how we will respond to it when it gets better and better. For me, it seems a little bit of a mixed bag. I think there's a good bit of hesitancy there. Um, and I think some of that is due to the misinformation, uh, a good bit of it anyway. Uh, but the people that I know have, that have used it are very happy with it, you know. Um, as as we've discussed in previous episodes and stuff, the just the change in productivity is huge. Uh, I was I was working just this week with uh, this past weekend with a guy who uh, he 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 was into marketing and he was having some issues, and so they they called me into consulting and to do some answer some questions and review. And I was telling him about AI, and I was just telling him, you know, here's a couple of use cases, so go try it out. And he was very excited to try out, you know, this writing headlines, which is content writing is so big. Content writing is, especially in the nonprofit world, and this is a business, but, you know, nonprofits, they don't have content writers. Like they, it's usually somebody who just steps up and is just going to take on the job. Right. Uh, and it was such a big help for him just to say, well, Hey, go in there and say, in 90 characters or less, give me 10 headlines about this product and how to sell it. You know, and and that was such a big changing game changer for him because now he can make these ads really quickly. 
and he doesn't have to spend this time writing content, which is, you know, not in his wheelhouse. Yeah, Dylan, I think behind a lot of the questions, there's both genuine concern as well as just the novelty of something new. Mm -hmm. And so there's always a suspiciousness about the new. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's easier, I think, the way we're wired to see the negatives of the new rather than the opportunities. And so I think people latch on very quickly to some of the negative stories or some of the initial sort of flubs of the technology as um, then ways to explain why they don't want to use it. When in fact, what's really going on is they just don't want to learn something new or they don't want to reconsider how to do their job. And, and I think like what Matt was saying with this, this guy, like when you understand there's some really practical, helpful ways. Um, I need headlines that are 90 characters. That's really considered grunt work to most writers Yep, to have to like fit it into that sort of parameter. But that's something that the marketing really foists on you as the creator and you really have, I think AI does a great job. It doesn't care that it's only 90 characters. It's going to spit out as many permutations as you want. Yeah, right. That was really well said, Tim. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it, is, it is good to remember that it, you know we are wired to focus on the negatives and the fears about things rather than the opportunities. Yeah. And every new piece of technology that comes out, there's this kind of ebb and flow. I think where this feels a little bit different is the rate of change yeah, and the, the inability to even, I mean, it's been like chat GPT four has been out for, you know, nine weeks as of this recording. And it already feels like so much has happened in that short period mm. of time. So that, that gets a little interesting, I think. Yeah. Mil- millions and millions of dollars are going into developing and sort of rolling. It's an arms race with AI yeah. at the moment to apply it to every possible scenario. And I think that is a word of caution is like not every application might be the best use for AI technology. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think what it does mean is that if you are in a nonprofit, I think where, where, where we want to encourage our listeners is to see where the opportunities may lie for the you know, executing the mission that you have in a much more efficient way and using the resources that you have to maximize the good that you're doing with these tools, these rather than being too too worried about the negatives. That's a great point, Dylan, because when you define sort of the parameters of the playing field, when you understand what what is beyond, then it helps you to focus then on what I can wholeheartedly use AI for. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about where are some of those borderlands, where are the areas that we want to be careful about using AI. So Matt, what's um, what's on your mind as one of the challenges or things you hear a lot from people? So I, the number one thing, well, I got two big things, So or two things to talk about. So the number one is kind of a funny thing that I can't say really without even laughing, but it's come up twice now with two different people. And uh, it's this idea that the T-1000 Terminator is going to show up at <laughs> yeah. your house. He's going to kick down your door with a bazooka and take everyone out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's just a funny scenario to me, but I get the concern and I don't, I don't mean to downplay it at all. Um, especially in that there has been this misinformation where, so to explain it, we need to kind of talk about two different things. So we, we have 
AI chatbots, which is what we're using and which is what we're all talking about, right? And it's not self-aware. We'll probably say that a lot. Uh, it is a tool. You ask it a question. So what's happened is someone's asked it a question of how would you take over the world, right? And the AI chatbot gives it a very good answer. It says, this is what I would do. And I can end 90% of the world's population in you know this amount of time, right? And that's the headline. AI says can end 90% of, and everyone panics. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's concern in that, right? Um, but it, it was just given a question and it answered the question. It doesn't mean it's going to do it. It doesn't mean it even has the ability to do it because it doesn't. So <laughs> thankfully, we're at the start of this, right? And so, and there are rules and there are sanctions going into place. One thing you had mentioned to us offline, Matt, that is interesting too, in terms of like what the technology can do though, and a concern that, that maybe does keep you awake at night sometimes is the misinformation problem. People using some of these tools to really play on our biggest weaknesses as, as a species. Yeah, Dylan, that's a really important point because we're still struggling with that even after the advent of our something a technology like photography. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, see, we used to sort of for thousands of years seeing was believing, and with video and with current technologies, we have to have sort of a little bit of suspicion about everything we see is not believable yeah. or true. So. We're struggling with it with our current technologies, even outside of AI. And AI only right. powers those video, audio technologies even further. Yeah, it, it empowers a bad actor, someone who maybe wouldn't have the skills to do this sort of thing. It gives them the an easier skill set. And that's that's where I'm more than open to rules and regulations coming into place for this. And I hope, you know, I know lots of people are hard at work on that sort of thing. So I hope it happens. Yeah, I mean, some simple things would be just, it's because it's a technology, there's watermarking capabilities to watermark AI-produced content mm-hmm. you know, of any kind. Mm-hmm. And some of that is already, I think, in the baked in that we're not seeing at the moment so that AI can tell AI-produced content. Um, yeah. And so that could be one of those regulations where there's a virtual watermark to tell us where this content originated. And it's good to know that people are working on people are working on addressing these questions. So while there is an arms, sort of the good side of the, of the arms race in AI is that people are, there's a market opportunity for creating tools that limit the downside as well. It's a good, it's a good point to to mention that we've been wrestling with some of these epistemological concerns for, you know, a century or, or more, yeah. um, you know, and the, my favorite example is the, the, the war of the world's yes. radio broadcast yeah. was, was fascinating and everybody should, should research that if you don't know about, about it. But yeah, it was like hearing was believing and seeing was believing. And I, I think the state of play now is that, well, if, if I'm talking to somebody I know, then I can, I know that I can at least trust that. And that is not going to be the case much longer. Right. And so um, people are already falling for really serious scams where people are calling family members 
and using their voice, using a faked version of their voice, you know, saying, I'm in trouble, I need this, I need that, I need send me money, you know. Mm -hmm. It will very soon be the case where you may not even be able to trust somebody calling you and saying they're your son or daughter or sister or brother. I'm I'm looking forward to very soon. I hope there's some regulations on, you know, the the voice training AI and the deep fakes and stuff. We've seen some some regulations come out on that, but I mean, just some simple solutions is AI not being able to train it until, like you said, a, a secret passphrase is said. So you can't train an AI model on someone's new voice until they say blathering blatherskites or, or something that triggers almost like a password that says, all right, AI, you can now mm-hmm. use my voice, right? Yeah, it's fascinating because when, you know, when then it's like, do you, is your own voice, does that belong to you? I mean, it's just a, a basically a frequency set of frequencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that do you own your own voice and likeness? It depends. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. It's yeah. is it intellectual property or not? I mean, this mm-hmm. it opens up whole new realms of inquiry and profitability as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In in my universe, which is the creative stuff. These are some of the questions that a lot of people are talking about um, and a lot of the concerns that they have. What what does intellectual property even mean now? And um, for artists and creators, you know, it was already pretty hard to make a, a dollar, you know, with your art. And now if quote unquote art can be generated uh, using artificial intelligence, then is that is is the world completely over for <laughs> for creators and artists? And and it is it is fascinating. And I think there there are really good arguments on both sides. Yeah, my daughter's an artist, and um, she's very into blockchain, Web three, NFTs. Yep. And for her, one of the, the advantages of blockchain, particularly, is it proves provenance of an mm-hmm. original piece of artwork. So it can be traced, whereas previous artwork could be faked or loses its provenance. And so the advantage to an artist of blockchain, if it's tied to some sort of remuneration, is that that piece of artwork is forever part of her property. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think when blockchain gets applied to, nobody's, I haven't really heard much discussion about how we apply blockchain technology to AI or non-AI generated digital assets. It does give us sort of a fingerprint back to the original artist. Yeah, it's that would be that would be the way to handle some of these concerns about people using your voice or your likeness. If you could assign a, a, a blockchain tag to your work and then people could use it as much as they want, sort of like yeah. sampling in music, you know, it's like you you get paid then if people are using your work. And that would be kind of cool. I heard that Grimes is trying to do something like that. The singer Grimes, mm-hmm. she said, "Yeah, you can use my voice, but let's split the split the royalties fifty fifty and figure out how to implement it." You know. Yeah. Another thing I've been thinking a lot about is the sense that you have when you know you've spent hundreds, maybe thousands of hours developing a skill, and you wake up one day and. <laughs> Read a, read something in the news that says there's this new AI technology that can basically do that thing in three seconds for free. And yep. so it's a sort of a, a spiritual question, you know, and problem that you have. Like, what 
where what is my worth tied to is it tied to the skill that i've developed who am i if this thing that i'm good at is no longer as quote unquote valuable you know it sort of changes the way you see yourself in in a very strange way and i'm curious if you guys have had that experience in in your own fields yeah i've experienced it a little bit um i have a diverse tech portfolio but i did see recently so i got my start in uh, front-end programming, web programming. And so someone would hand me a mock-up, a picture of a website, and I would just code it, right? And uh, I saw recently there is an AI now that has been trained where you hand it a picture and it gives you all the HTML, all the CSS, any of the JavaScript, any of that code that you need to build a front-end website. And it generated it, it worked perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it was responsive and everything. And uh, that's that is a skill set that I've spent 15 plus years working on (laughs) and now a robot can do it in less than a minute uh, which is great for productivity right Um, I'm excited about that I'm I'm not too worried about my job because I'm very diverse in what that I what Mm -hmm. I do but a front-end programmer that that's all they do I can see them being pretty pretty afraid you know I feel like it was quite recently people would have said the key to having success is to specialize rather than to be too diverse in your skills. Mm-hmm. And I, so I'm wondering if that, I'm wondering if you heard that and you were like, no, I'm just different. I'm going to do my own thing. I like being diverse. But now I agree. I totally agree. And I think that's something we should unroll a little bit is the, I, is diversifying your skill portfolio is probably a huge, huge thing to do. But I think that that was against the grain even three to five years ago. Yeah, I think it gives greater credence to learning how to think well, Yep. learning how to marshal information, learning how to manage people and assets. And yeah, a lot of those skills that might have been less valued during the quote unquote information economy are going to come back to the fore. Absolutely. Fact, I asked um, ChatGPT about um, what are the hardest soft skills to find in C-suite executives. Mm. And this was one of the top ones of flexibility, being Mm. able to be able to pivot, be able to understand without having extensive knowledge about all the details and be able to have good decision making, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the midst of a lot of ambiguity. Totally. And it's, it gets me thinking too, if I, you know, if I had a a cousin who was 18 right now or something and was thinking about going, either going to college or going into the workforce, you know, what would I recommend right now? It's an interesting question when you try to drill down. Would you even recommend college or not? Or would you recommend, you know, how, how would you guys answer that question? I have a little bit of an extreme approach to that or extreme idea to that. I see less and less value in college degrees. I see more value in experience uh, these days because, and especially in the line of work that I do, I, and I know this personally, when I graduated, I knew the basics, the fundamentals of programming and technology, but I didn't know how to build Mm -hmm. things. Uh, I didn't know how to do that until someone took a chance on me, literally put me in a closet to do some programming for 40 hours a week for years (laughs) until I got good at it. Uh, and so, hey, yeah, my, were you chained up, Matt? Was this a, um, was this a, um, a sweatshop? It, it was one of those scenarios where, yeah, almost, um, uh, it, it was, uh, you had to close the door and it was hot and it was legitimately a very small closet, just big enough for a computer and a chair. Uh, but that's how you Harry get your Potter st- closet. Yeah. Oh, 
We made lots of Harry Potter jokes. They put a, uh, I'm a, I'm a Batman fan. They put a sign over in my closet that said the Matt cave. Because that <laughs> my name is Matt. So I have a picture. Because my name I'll is Matt. You guys, you but... Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I'm, I'm clarifying for our listeners that don't know that Matt is talking right now. <laughs> the Matt cave for Matt. This is sort of getting a little far field, but I think this is where I'm saying very technical um, fields and a lot of our college education became mm-hmm. very technical, mm-hmm. uh, marketing, engineering, whatever. It all became very technical and less theoretical. And I'm, I'm going to say the swing is going to be back to some of the mm-hmm. theoretical, like epistemology, like you mentioned, Dylan, earlier. Like, how do I know what I know? is a very real world important question yeah. these days. How do I know this is real? Um, just because I experience it, does mm-hmm. that make it real? I'm not saying technology goes away or technical skill goes away, but it's, it's less important than thinking well, Yeah, in my opinion. I, I was an English major. And so, you know, that I, I knew going in that this wasn't going to be the most market oriented uh, strategy, but <laughs> I, I remember my, the head of the English department saying something like, you know, yeah, the humanities get a bad rap, but we're teaching people how to be humane. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't know if we're doing a good job at that yet. But um, <laughs> but I think what's funny is now now I think, yeah, like kind of like you're saying, Sam, maybe that is going to be a a really, really important skill. <laughs> like, what does it mean to be a human? How how should we behave? How should we live together? If yeah. there is a big disruption in the economy and how people work and you know for how long has it been since like our our value has been tied to our labor you know what if that's no longer Mm. the case so there there are going to be some big questions that people are not we are not equipped to answer and maybe we don't even know what those questions are yet Mm. yeah just circling back to our audience our nonprofit you know, professionals, leaders in that sphere, that's really your bread and butter. That's what you care about. You care about how to improve Mm -hmm. the world, how to help people. And so I think in a possible way, these things are actually going to make your work actually more understandable and uh, adopted, hopefully, by a larger group of people who see the value of what you're doing. That's my hope. That's good, Sam. That's that's great. We may realize how much we need each other and how much we need to help each other and mm-hmm. support each other. And so as uh, for our audience, you know, as we move as we move further down this path, we need you. We need you to be on the ball and to be contributing to executing your mission. So that's what that's what we're here to try to help you do with this podcast. So one of the things I've heard that's kind of similar, Matt, to your, you know, T-1000 illustration, there's sort of a faith-based version of that T-1000. That's sort of the more secular side of it. But the more faith-based side is, um, is this technology the Antichrist? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of churches and a lot of organizations have this sort of um, end times uh, fear that some technology that we create is going to be our destroyer. And I think my answer to that, even if you're not a faith-based person, would be AI is not a savior, nor is it a destroyer. Uh, It is simply a tool. Mm -hmm. It is a very powerful tool. It is a very important and um, probably generationally disruptive tool, but it is a tool nonetheless. Um, 
there's a great quote by Alexander Solzhenitsyn who said the dividing line between good and evil runs through every human heart. Mm. And so I think what that means to me is that it's not the tool that's good or evil, but the user of the tool that has the capacity of both good and evil within themselves. And so when we look at using a tool like AI, it is going to be used for both good and ill in the world. And it's going back to some of those things we talked about earlier, Dylan, the role of uh, people who care about humanity, who care about morality, who care about wisdom being exercised in the world to make sure that this tool is being appropriately deployed. And probably the best way to do that is for you yourself to use it for good. Mm. And so if you can use AI for good, then you can advocate for better uses of AI to your community. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the AI for Good podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion, we kindly ask that you help us spread the word by liking, sharing, and subscribing to our podcast. By doing so, you'll help us reach more nonprofit leaders such as yourself so we can help them learn how they can use AI for good. Thank you.